Hello, and welcome to Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. On this week's design discussion, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will discuss a board game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, 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 everybody, and today we are reviewing a fairly classic game, Castle Panic. And for our design discussion, we're going to cover tower defense games or city defense games or whatever defending you want to be doing. (laughs) And this is one that we're pretty close to because uh, two of our designs are pretty straightforward city defense games in one way or another. So we have a little bit of experience of the, the pitfalls and difficulties of designing for that genre. And don't go looking for them. Neither of them are released yet. But yes, two of our ones that are coming up shortly. See, and it's taken us years to make them because this is not <laughs> an easy design uh, to make right. Uh, in fact, most of my things for our design discussion, I think, are kind of cautions and concerns with doing these kind of games. All right, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we do have a big special thank you to shout out and also an announcement to make real quick. So let's start with our thank you. Yeah, we wanted to give a big thank you to Paul Wise who donated a really generous sum to our uh, PayPal account where you can send donations. So extremely appreciated, Paul Wise. We really uh, thank you for the help. It goes to help us pay for the podcast, pay for stuff on YouTube, pay for equipment, and of course uh, get more games to cover for you all to enjoy. Yeah, thank you so much. It's really appreciated. And we don't ever ask for money, but certainly any that's donated, we certainly appreciate and we'll definitely give you a shout out. So... If you feel like doing so, do it out of the generosity of your heart, and you'll definitely get to hear your name. And uh, the only thing is, if ever it presents a financial burden, please hold off. Uh, Your listening and viewing is support enough if that's what you have to give. But thank you again to Paul, and thank you to everyone who's donated to us over the past months. Well, their listening and viewing isn't enough, because we're going to ask them for a big favor right now. And that is, right now, BGG is holding its annual Golden Geek Awards, and they have their nominations up, and podcast is one of the categories. So we are going to ask you to do one more thing, only if you have a BGG account, and that's head over to Board Game Geek and go ahead and nominate us for your favorite podcast. Certainly feel free to nominate all your other favorite podcasts as well, and nominate your favorite games from the year too. So that's a pretty cool thing they do every year. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll make sure to have a link to that in our show notes. So just click on down there and we really appreciate the time if you're able to do that for us. Absolutely. Well, without further ado, let's get into Castle Panic. All right, Peter, tell us a little bit about the deep and storied history of Castle Panic and the story you're telling. To be honest, you are just, I don't know what you are. I guess you're heroes defending (laughs) your town. I mean, I didn't really... That's about as far as I got. (laughs) I mean, this is definitely a family weight game. I'll start with that. If you have kids that are into fantasy genre, they have goblins, they have orcs, they have trolls, and they're attacking your castle. They also have boulders that roll down and, like, smush all the bad guys in their way and then blow up your castle walls as well. But basically, you are trying to defend the castle that you live in from all these fantasy creatures. There are a couple expansions as well. The first one is the Wizard's Tower, and that one adds even more variety variety of monsters as well as you have a wizard's tower in your castle that you need to defend and that'll give you some pretty cool spells you can cast. The next one is the Dark Titan which has varying difficulties of bosses and this one wizard's tower kind of turned it into a full co-op because originally it wasn't and then Dark Titan took it the next step and really made it a 
co-op with varying levels of difficulty because this Titan you're fighting against gets harder and harder. You can make him, you know, there are five different levels of difficulty. And then the last one I haven't played yet is called Engines of War. And then they took this same theme and they moved it over to a game called Star Trek Panic, which is also in that line as well. And I think they have a zombie one as well. So there are quite a few games in this line. Today we're covering Base Castle Panic along with a couple of those expansions. Yeah, so if you want to get panicked, you have several options to do so. Cool. Well, Mike, why don't you get into the gameplay overview? So it's super simple. At the beginning of your turn, you draw up to a certain hand size determined by the number of players. So with two players, I think it's six, and then it goes down to uh, four cards minimum. You have the option to discard one card and draw a replacement, which usually would be a card that's not useful at the moment. Then you can trade one card optionally with one other player, so hopefully setting them up for a future turn and also helping yourself out for the current turn. You get to play as many cards as you want, and the majority of cards will refer to one of the rings on the board. So basically there are six arcs, so kind of like if you can picture pizza slices. So one through six going around the board, and the monsters are going to be coming from the forest at the back of those arcs through the archer, knight, and swordsman spaces, and then eventually crashing into your walls and destroying your walls and eventually your towers. So most of the cards will hit monsters in a specific color and ring of the field outside the castle. So like red swordsmen. And uh, the monsters will take between one and three damage. Each time you damage them, you'll rotate them. If you get them all the way to zero damage, then they uh, get, or sorry, zero life, then they go away completely. And to win the game, you have to survive through all the monsters in the pile, or the bag if you have the expansion, and you're drawing two monsters at the end of every turn after all the monsters move one space towards your walls. So you kind of progress through the bag two at a time until you eventually get all the tokens out. If you can survive all the tokens coming out and defeat all of them before all six of your towers are destroyed, you win the game. If you ever lose your sixth tower, you lose the game. All right, and that's pretty much it. So for those of you joining us for the first time, we talk about the top five things we think you should know about the game, starting with number five, which is the least important thing, and going all the way to number one, which we think is the most important thing you need to know about the game. So I'll get us started, and my number five is that this game requires teamwork. As Mike said, at the beginning of each round, you have an option to trade cards. And it doesn't sound like a big deal. You only get to trade one card out of your hand. And especially with multiple players, it doesn't seem to mean as much. But it really does. Because not only are you hoping to get something that's going to help you defend your castle for that round, but you're also getting something that will hopefully help them on their turn as well. There are some things that you can do, like you have brick and mortar. Well, on their own, they don't do anything. But if you get a pair of them, a brick and a mortar, you can actually rebuild some of those castle walls. And those castle walls are what defend you. And, you know, if something's about to destroy one of your castle pieces in the middle, the wall will block it. So getting those two together is a very powerful action. And so without that trading, you're really not going to be able to do that. Also, there are many times where you just need to do one more point of damage to somebody, or you might have a special card that says kill somebody if you do at least one point of damage, but you can't hurt that biggest threat out there on the field. And so you need to trade cards with somebody to get that piece. So I think the game does it very well. It is my number five because it isn't what I think about when I think about this game, 
This doesn't always come up because sometimes you will go through all your cards on your turn and so you won't have cards to trade with other players. But when it works out, and it does at least several times a game, it really is this cool synergy that you have with the other players at the table. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't call it quite the same thing, but that's basically my number five too, and it's a pro for me as well. I like the way you manage your cards. I like the limited trading. I also like the discard a card and draw one option. It just feels kind of cool to get rid of things that are useless in your hand and get something hopefully more useful. It's very minor, just my number five, but it's it's a little nice bonus in how you work the cards in your hand and especially trying to set up other players for future turns. Like if you see that a monster is about to be in the swordsman circle next turn and you give that player the green swordsman, that feels kind of cool. So it's a pretty minor thing, but it, it does make the game feel a bit cooperative. And I'll say, I didn't put the part in about discarding, but after playing Star Trek Panic for the last couple of days, just to kind of compare and contrast the two in my mind, they don't have that action available there where you can discard cards. And looking just through the forums, there is a lot of complaints about not being able to manage your hand properly. Here, they definitely have it. So if you do have a handful of stuff you can't use, there's certainly ways to get rid of it. All right, so moving on to my number four are the expansions make it bigger. And that's both for good and for bad. With each expansion, you're not only adding more enemies, but you're usually adding new elements to the game as well. And the enemies will have different things that aren't available in the base game. And I think it's really good how they do that. It could have been introduced in certain levels throughout the base game as well if they wanted to put it all in one big box. But I certainly think it's good not to have 100 different enemy powers when you first open up a game. But I do think the negative with that is it already takes a little longer than I'd like to get through the bag anyway. And adding in each expansion really makes that even more. Because you do remove some, and I give them credit for that, you remove some of the enemy tokens from the bag as you add expansions, but you're adding more enemies than you are removing. So the bag gets more and more full, which means you're going to have more and more turns in the game. And so as each expansion gets added, they add a lot of cool stuff, but they also do make the game take longer. Yeah, and I only played the expansions a little bit, so I didn't touch on them in my five main points. I'm kind of saving that for my overall thoughts. But I did find that the game was a little bit longer with the Wizard's Tower, and also just looking up more powers, because there are so many new powers, and then each of the bosses has a different power that sometimes applies every turn. It was definitely more overhead than I wanted, I think. But we'll get to that more later. My number four is another pro, and that's that I think there's a nice amount of variety and fun in the cards and in the tokens you draw. And just some of them are like kind of giddy, childish joy to play. The barbarian that kills somebody straight up no matter who they are, that's awesome. The boulder is the most fun thing in the game because (laughs) you roll randomly and it smashes all the enemies in its way and also smashes your wall or tower. So it's just goofy. It's awesome. My son, uh, who's six years old when he drew it, he just loved uh, rolling for it and seeing what happened. So there's a good number of, like, fun cards. And even the cards that might seem kind of useless, like the mortar and the uh, the bricks to rebuild the walls, by themselves, they're pretty much useless, except in the expansion they can get rid of fire tokens. But even having, like, those useless cards kind of makes the cooler cards seem more cool. It makes your hand feel more fun when you draw those. So I don't really mind that some of the cards are not as useful because it just kind of highlights what you'll get later. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes a little bit into what my number three is. 
the enemy variety. And it's both good and bad. The good part about it is that I, I do think there is a decent bit of variety even in the base game. Certainly as you get more expansions, that variety gets more and more. Now, there are some enemies that annoy me. And the enemies that annoy me, and, and not every token is enemies. Sometimes it'll say Plague Knights, which means every knight in your hand you discard. And sometimes those even help you because, again, you can only discard one card a turn normally. Well, if nobody's in the knight ring or even close to the knight ring and you just want to get rid of some of those knights, there's not an easy way to do it without getting some of these plague cards. So sometimes those actually help you when they get drawn. But the ones that annoy me the most by far are the ones that say draw more enemies. It's like draw three more enemies or draw four more enemies. Because the more tokens you draw, the more likely it is you're going to draw another one of those. It seems like every time I draw one, I draw all of them. So I go from zero enemies on the board to 12 or 13 tokens on a turn. I mean, it's ridiculous. So those are the by far the most annoying tokens to me. But beside those, I do like the variety they came up with. And actually, just playing Star Trek Panic, again, just to contrast, they took all those out of the game. I think they realized that those were annoying. And the nice part about the expansions is the more and more enemies you get the more diverse the bag becomes. So you're less likely to draw a bunch of those all at one time. Yeah, and those are going to come up for me later, but <laughs> definitely share your concerns with that. My number three is another pro. It's about three pros in a row, but, you know, appreciate them now because that's going to be it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that I love the tactile feel of the game and kind of the appearance of the game. In two main ways. Number one, I really love the little tower and wall kind of cardboard tokens that stand up in these little standees. They look attractive. They give the board a 3D appearance. And especially playing with my son, it's kind of fun to just have them get knocked down, see your castle get destroyed. Like when you're close to losing, it looks like you're close to losing. It kind of reminds me of Forbidden Island in that way, where as you do worse in the game, you get a very like strong visual flair that emphasizes that. So I appreciate that. And then also, I think uh, for the, the monster tokens, they're very nice. They're chunky. They look cool. And I love the rotating mechanic. So again, uh, I said this in the rules, but they have like their life total right on there. And you rotate them one side as they take damage which is similar to what we did in uh, Dark Dealings, but here it's with little tokens. And I like that even that their current life always points toward the, the tower, like they're always going toward your base and trying to destroy it. It's a little thing, but especially playing with kids, I appreciate the tactile feel and the 3D nature of the components. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. It is fun. And I mean, I think the thing we should stress that it is a family weight game. The cards are very easy to look at and tell what they do. If it's a green swordsman, it hits somebody in one of the two green areas that is in the swordsman ring. So there, there is no big planning here. I mean, the most tactile thing you're going to do in the game is discard cards and pass cards to other players. So do realize that it is a family weight game. With that being said, my number two is right along line with what you just said, and that is the cool health tracking system. I really think they did a neat job. It was innovative at the time, certainly. You do see more things now where you're rotating cards, rotating tokens to track health, but they were certainly one of the first ones to do it, if not the first people to do it. And a lot of the tokens are triangular-shaped, so they'll have three sides, and things will have at most three health in the base game. But as you get to the expansions, even when they add the bosses, they'll have like 
six or eight-sided monsters, and those are really cool. Now, they still have triangular chits that you put into the bag to draw out, and then you replace them with these big monster tokens as it goes. And it's just really cool to see, especially, you know, some of these bigger health monsters. Like, it's really cool to see the shapes that they come up with, and some of them even flip over, and they have health on the back as well. So there's so much health tracking you have to do. You know, they have so much life that they have to track it on two different sides. So I really do like how they worked out the health tracking system and I thought it was just really neat and clean way to do it and very as you said visually appealing as well absolutely all right so getting to the bad (laughs) my number two is that you can play as many cards as you want and that you draw six cards at the beginning of each of your turns I know they were going for a very streamlined kind of beer and pretzel sort of design here and that's fine that'll work for a lot of people and I think this is a nice way to make the game easier for kids because you just play any cards you can and that's fine. But by making you just be able to play as many cards as you want and by making you draw up to six cards no matter what, they've taken away almost all chance for tactical decision-making, in my opinion. Besides, like, the rare thing where you hold on to a barbarian until a better target shows up when you could use it, you were always encouraged to play as many cards as possible because then you get to draw more replacement cards. So by doing that thing, it is a very light game, but it takes away any tactical depth that the game might have had. And even playing the expansions, I didn't find that improved much. So, you know, I get what they were going for, but in terms of, like, game design and wanting maybe something a little bit deeper, or even the chance to be a little bit deeper, I do feel like that basic uh, core design mentality kind of takes that away. Well, now I'm curious what your number one is, because my number one was the simple card play to the game. It really is a family weight game. It is something you can play. I think it was one of my son's favorite games when he was five or six. So I do know people play this with adults, but I can't imagine playing this with an adult. It it, it definitely feels like a family weight game. There aren't a lot of decisions there. Certainly there's a little bit of reading and the expansions do add a little bit of tactical depth. But as you were saying, most of the time you want to play as many cards as possible so you can draw as many cards as possible so you can kind of see what's new and cool. For what the game is for a simple card game, and I do think it's fairly reasonably priced, too. I think I saw it on Amazon for like 32 bucks, which is pretty good for the base game. You know, if you want something to play with your kids, this is something that the card play is so simple, yet it does teach turn order, things like that. There is a turn structure, certainly more so than some of the kids' games I've played. But just remember that it is a family-style game, and, and that's my number one is that simple card play kind of leads to that. Yeah, and and to be clear, I think that is probably a pro for all the five-year-olds in the world. My son certainly appreciated the simple card play, but for anybody looking for more, it's a con for me. But yeah, my number one, actually, I think is, it's one of your pet peeves, so I'm sort of surprised it didn't show up anywhere on your list, and that's the swingy luck, and there's two extremes for this. You touched on one of them earlier with the tokens that add more tokens, which, by the way, is not only annoying because it can just go from zero to 100 in one second, but also it's really annoying because they have no way to track how many tokens you've drawn. And I don't know about you, but I really I struggle to keep track. I'm like, all right, wait, so I'm supposed to have eight now plus three more. That's 11. Wait, was that guy new this turn? No, he wasn't. Oh, that guy's in the forest. He must be new this turn. So I find those tokens incredibly frustrating, as you already said. 
What I typically do for that is I'll draw them out of the bag. So I've learned my lesson playing the game enough times. I'll draw my two out of the bag at the beginning. And then if one of them says draw three, I'll draw three more. Now, I won't look at them. They'll be in my hand, but I will have them out of the bag. So I'm not counting. Ah, that's a good call. I'll use that from now on. But yeah, the thing that concerns me more with the game and that definitely came up in my plays with my son is the opposite of that. And that's that you'll get a lot of dead turns in this game. And few things frustrate Peter, I know, and few things frustrate me more than completely lost turns. It's not too infrequent to kill all the monsters on the board or only have one or two monsters on the board. Sometimes they'll be in the forest where basically no cards can hit them. Sometimes you'll have a turn where just none of your cards match any of the small number of monsters on the board. And it's really frustrating because, yes, the turns are pretty fast, but especially playing with a kid, and that's who I think this game should be targeted toward, it's no fun to be told that, you know, what can I do on my turn? Well, absolutely nothing. Draw one card and move some monsters and draw some new monsters. (laughs) And I think that's exacerbated by the other non-monster tokens, Peter talked about the ones that make you draw more monsters, but I think the biggest problem for me are the tokens that rotate monsters and move them one extra space, because first of all, those uh, those tokens are very swingy in terms of what effect they have on the game and can have absolutely no effect sometimes, but also I think the game is at its best when monsters are coming out in a consistent fashion so that you always have at least somebody to attack on a turn-by-turn basis. So by having so many of those tokens in, it makes it more common that you'll get turns where there is literally nobody on the board and you do almost nothing with your turn, which is just not fun. And again, it just feeds into that other problem where at some point you're going to draw 80 tokens and not be able to do anything and might lose the game for no good reason. So the overall swinginess of the game, and that's not even touching on the dice that place the monsters, where if you just keep on rolling the same number, it's going to be ridiculously hard. And if you roll them nicely spaced around the entire board, it's going to be way easier. I mean, I guess that adds to variety for the game. All these things add to variety for the game. But it's the kind of variety I don't like. Like, I don't like a game of Pandemic that ends in five minutes because of where the epidemic showed up. I don't like a game of Castle Panic where I can get nobody on the board or everybody on the board just because of how the tiles come out. I wish there was more consistency. The game does not have it. And man, it can lead to some unfun moments in the game pretty frequently. I think we've kind of given our final thoughts throughout, but I'll start us off with I think this is a good game to play with kids. I think it's fun. I think it is something you can enjoy playing with them. It'll teach them turn structure in a more meaningful way than a lot of the kid games. I think this is kind of the next level kid game. Again, once your kid gets five or six, I do think the Wizard Tower is almost an essential expansion for the game. Yes, there is variety in the monsters and and tokens in the base game, but I do like what variety is added in the Wizard Tower. Plus, the base game wasn't really designed as a co-op game. It was designed as a semi-co-op game where every time you kill a monster, you get points for them, and whoever got the most points at the end won. And so it wasn't a very difficult co-op to play where Wizard's Tower actually, I think, increases the difficulty of the game and makes it at least a little more consistent than the base game. Plus, the Wizard Tower cards are pretty cool and you can do some neat things. It's not just hit one monster here, you know, very few special cards. I have Dark Titan as well. I didn't like that one as much because it adds a little too much for me, a little bit too much time, a little bit too much extra stuff going on. So uh, I did not like that one as much. And there's another expansion called Engines of War and I haven't tried that one yet. I will say Star Trek Panic fixed a lot of the things, 
it adds special player powers. So everybody has something they can do differently than anybody else. It also has a little bit more tactical maneuvering of the ship. So instead of having the six different quadrants, it has facing. So it says shoot in front of your ship or shoot behind your ship. And you're allowed to maneuver your ship on your turn too. Plus those brick and mortar cards where in the base game, they don't do anything by themselves. Here, they remove some of the damage if you use one of them. But if you use them in a combination, they do even more to repair your ship. So I think Star Trek Panic takes it even to the next level and something you may even be able to play with gamers. Yeah, I'm going to mostly agree with Peter, although not all the way. I totally agree that this game is really only good if you have kids. I wouldn't even play this with like my casual friends, uh, I don't think. I just don't think there's enough there. What I'm going to disagree on is that I haven't played The Wizard's Tower too much, but I would recommend not getting the expansions, at least for a while, because this was the perfect level for my son, who's six years old. And beyond what Peter said, I think just like teaching him to look at his hand of cards and figure out which cards are not useful and which ones he can discard, and also just kind of like basic uh, color matching and basic like space matching, I think the game has a lot to help uh, child learners with. So as a teacher, I kind of appreciate that side of the game. I found Wizard's Tower as a gamer a little bit annoying to keep track of, especially with all the varied boss powers. But not, again, like in a way that makes the game more tactically interesting for a gamer, but just in terms of overhead and fiddliness. So I don't think it's the best way to play with a kid, unless the kid has played the base game so much that they just want to see something new. And then sure, get the expansion, introduce it. But I would say start out with just the base game if you're going to play with children. I would not get the expansion thinking it makes it into a gamer's game. It doesn't. To start with that easier experience, and then if your kid is dying for more panic, then maybe upgrade. And yeah, I'd also agree with Peter that even though Star Trek has kind of its own issues, that's probably... Well, I guess it depends on theme. Kids might enjoy Castle Panic more, and if they don't care about Star Trek theme, the fantasy theme might kind of sell them more. But I did think there was a bit more tactical, interesting stuff going on in Star Trek Panic to make that a little bit more of a recommend for a slightly heavier gamer. Well, yeah, and the victory conditions are different, too. So in Star Trek Panic, you're trying to complete a certain number of missions, anywhere from 5 to 10. And so each mission gives you something else to do with your cards, where you're not just fighting the guys on the board. And they did take away most of the annoying enemies as well, and added in some cool new special powers. So if you like the Star Trek theme, you're looking for more adult game, I would say definitely Star Trek Panic. I can't tell you much about Dead Panic, which is the zombie themed one i haven't had a chance to play or look at that one yet i mean (laughs) just my guess would be that it seems like the least kid appropriate theme so i don't know why that i would want to get that one but yeah and, and also if you're worried about what peter said that they took out the discard rule that's the easiest variant to add back in. It'll take you one second to do it. Just say that you can discard a card and draw a replacement. Bam. Done. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. We ready to get into our design discussion? Absolutely. Let's do it. So this week we're going to be talking about tower defense games, town defense games. I guess not tower defense because tower defense, you really think of building defenses on the board and a wave of enemies coming in. Although you do kind of get that wave of enemies coming in thing, but typically you're not building structures in these games. Not that I've seen. Yeah, I think there are a few games. I haven't played them, but I know there are a few games that have tried to ape like that video game tower defense mechanic. But that's such a tough thing to do. I, I don't think there are very many games that do it successfully. Because the whole thing about that is that you have like these 
reams of towers hitting hundreds of guys in those games and like you're upgrading the towers and I just can't imagine any game handling that in a way that really emulates the video game experience while also maintaining a low level like a reasonable level of fiddliness and what you have to keep track of so if anybody has great ones to kind of suggest to us let us know and we'll give them a try but yeah I I think we should stick with kind of town defense or whatever you want to call it which is not the same as strict tower defense Yeah, and I think if it was kind of a tower defense theme, you would have two phases to the game, and that's the way the video games are too. The one phase where you're kind of building up your defense, and the second phase where it just kind of happens to you. The only one I can actually think of, now that we've been talking about it, is Dungeon Lords a little bit, where you're building up defenses inside your castle, and then the the heroes come and attack you as you built up this like defense and you're trying to get rid of them. Yeah, sort of, although even there, like... You set up your rooms. The majority of the play is still tactical play turn to turn, like playing traps from your hand and playing monsters that you have available. The funny thing is that Dark Dealing, for those who have seen our design of that game, that was originally conceived way back when as a sci-fi tower defense game where you would like have your own personal uh, space stations and build little defenses along them, and you'd have a building phase, like Peter was saying, and then an enemy attack phase. It morphed very heavily into a totally different kind of game, but you can still sort of see a little bit of tower defense-ish roots in the game when you play it, in terms of getting defenses to fight off the specific heroes that are coming. But we're, we're kind of getting away from our actual discussion. Let's let's jump in. What's uh, something you wanted to suggest to people or a thought you had on uh, town defense games, Peter? Well, the big thing is that there needs to be a constant stream of enemies. So when you think of some games like Castle Panic, at the end of every round, you are adding two new enemies to the board. And it needs to be there because it needs to keep the pressure up. Ideally, you wouldn't be able to get rid of them all every turn. So it's a building tension. So I know you and I specifically like that in games where... The tension is low at the beginning, and then it kind of ramps up as you ramp up as well. And you can do cooler and cooler things as the game goes on, but you're going to have to because there's going to be more and more enemies on the board. So ideally for these type games, you do want to have a kind of a buildup throughout the game where you are getting more powerful as it goes on, and this constant stream of enemies just keeps coming. It's like this never-ending wave. And maybe you'll have ebbs and flows, and I think that's what Castle Panic tried to do with some cards that don't really do a lot, and then some cards that had a bunch of enemies, but I think there are better ways to do it. Yeah, I mean, you you took the words right out of my mouth. My biggest first kind of thing to consider is how you're going to bring enemies in consistently, and I think a lot of games get it wrong. I think Castle Panic mostly gets it wrong. At least like once or twice per game, you're going to have a bad moment with it. Uh, Metal Dawn, a game that I did a playthrough of a while back, I think that one tends to be a little too light on the enemies, and the pressure is not high enough. But it's a really tough seesaw to walk, and you got to do really heavy playtesting of your game with a variety of groups who are going to try things differently to find the right way to do it. The kind of two suggestions I'll give is, first of all, unlike Castle Panic, try to give easy-to-use tools. Well, actually, I shouldn't say unlike Castle Panic, because I think they do have both easier and harder variants in the back of each rulebook to kind of change it up. I know they did in the expansion. I think they did in the base game as well. So they do have some ways to kind of do this, but... Give your players tools, like easy-to-use tools, to kind of up the reinforcement rate or lower it so that if their particular play style or kind of the group think that's going on just doesn't match the core reinforcement rate of the game, you're not leading to terrible experiences for your players. Give them some tools to kind of uh, tailor that to themselves. 
And the other thing is, like Peter said, don't be afraid to let monsters linger. Don't be afraid to let things kind of stay around. What I think is kind of a cool thing to try is to let things build to a head, let there be too many guys, and then give your players costly options or sacrificial options that can clear large numbers of guys, but with a big negative for them. So actually, uh, Castle Panic doesn't have this in the base game, but a perfect example of this is in one of the expansion cards, one of the Wizard's Tower cards, which has you destroying one of your own towers, one-sixth of the things you need to protect to actually win the game, but you immediately defeat every monster in front of that tower. So those kind of things, like those kind of uh, options to your players, are really fun. You increase the tactical depth of the game, you increase the hard decisions players have to make, and you also give yourself the flexibility to kind of have a little bit too much reinforcement, a little bit more than players can actually handle, but uh, giving them a sort of release valve to let go of some of that pressure, but burning their hands when they do it. And we did something kind of like that with Unlikely Heroes, although we didn't have the cost associated with it, but it was just a build up, build up, build up. Then we have this hero come to relieve the pain a little bit. Now, while we didn't have tough, costly decisions in the game, you still have to make a decision as far as where to put that hero. And do you want him for his one-time effect here where he's going to do the most benefit, or do you want him for his long-term effect? So we did have choices as far as that goes. I think that's another way of doing it as well. As long as you do have some way, if you're going to have a constant buildup, to alleviate that pain a little, because you do want ebbs and flows. You don't want it to just be constantly worse and worse for the players throughout the course of the game. So I think you're right there for sure. Yeah, and and just to clarify, because I don't think we mentioned this yet, Unlikely Heroes is one of our pending designs. Uh, We actually co-designed it with a famous designer. So yeah, that's that's one of our designs that is a straight-up town defense game. Yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to add is you want to try to have other actions in the game because I think these games, and Castle Panic's a perfect example, a lot of times it's just about the fighting. A lot of times it's just about clearing the enemies and getting rid of them. But having other interesting options in the game is important because you don't want to... I think this is where you know games like Castle Panic, and it does give you other options, which are building your wall back up again. I think that's pretty much the only other option. And that's why I think Star Trek Panic, with its missions, is a better, more interesting tactical game, because it gives you other things to do with your cards. The problem with that sometimes, though, is it's hard to balance, because you really have to make sure, when giving people other options, that they are attractive options to do, or that you are forcing them into it at some point, but it doesn't want to feel bad either. So for example, in Unlikely Heroes, we have your weapons breaking. And one of the actions you're going to have to do is get new weapons. But we also, to make it not feel so bad, give you a special perk that goes along with it as well. And so you're going to have to use some tactical decisions to decide how much of your resources you want to spend looking for new items, and then which of the different town locations, abilities you want to use. Ghost Stories does the same thing, right? Where you can either fight off the monsters or do what's in the town. But those town options need to be interesting enough to give players something that they're looking forward to. Yeah, really great one. That's another one I wanted to talk about as well. I was going to mention Ghost Stories, but you already got to it first. So what I'll give kind of designers as a different option is to, again, look at Metal Dawn. A cool thing they did there is they have these powerful location abilities, but how it works is when you move to the location, you get the ability for free if it's on, like, the space you move to. 
So as part of the move action, you get to get a new weapon. Or as part of the move action, you get to snipe an enemy on a different space. So consider doing that, especially if you're finding the balancing act just too difficult. Like you can't get the right balance of these special actions where they, you know, they might be too attractive and players don't actually fight the enemies anymore. They just blow them up with bombs from your locations. Or you might go the other way and they aren't getting used at all. If you find that you just can't strike the right balance, then consider doing something like Metal Dawn and just making it entirely a free kind of bonus on top of actions players are doing anyway. You'll make them feel cooler, you'll make them feel more dynamic, and you'll take away a lot of the most challenging balance decisions you might have in designing your your town defense game. Yeah, and in one of our other designs that we're working on right now, it is a town defense game, but you are actually training your heroes up throughout the course of the game, and you're pretty weak at the beginning, and you're going to get more and more powerful. Actually, all of our games seem to do that, but certainly it is a hallmark of this game, which is fast, furious training as well as fast, furious combat. So in Guardians of Tartarus, you're building up and you have to do a lot of training early because you just aren't strong enough to fight off the enemies. And they're coming in kind of slowly and kind of building up as we had talked about. So, but we didn't want it to be build up all your stuff early and then fight all you can later. So what we did in that game to make the trainings more enticing later in the game is we decreased the cost of them and made different trainings available as the town kind of started burning down or the prison in this particular example. As that started burning down, you get more and different options, and those options become cheaper as well. Because later in the game, you still have a limited number of actions, but you don't want to spend your other resources necessarily on training. So we give people kind of the options, and also give them a little bit of a benefit that'll help them in their next fight as well. That's another option is if you're going to have these other options, make sure it makes that next fight that they do so that they are more powerful and more prepared for that fight. Yeah, and that segues right into kind of my next suggestion in this genre. And that is that you don't need to do this, but I think it is a nice thing to do. Consider making the place you are defending have either interesting gameplay mechanics in its destruction or at the very least kind of uh, engaging physical appearance in its destruction. So Castle Panic doesn't have much mechanical things happening when walls and towers are destroyed besides that boulders might just roll straight through, but it at least has the fun component aspect of these little standees getting destroyed and your castle slowly falling apart. A game that doesn't do this very well, and I've heard a lot of complaints, as much as Peter and I love this game, is Aeon's End, where Gravehold is just a life track going down and has zero other impact in terms of feeling when the location is destroyed. Whereas with Ghost Stories, you have locations getting flipped and you're losing access to powers. We have the same thing in Unlikely Heroes and Guardians of Tartarus, where things are changing as things get destroyed. And I personally like that better. I I like that you can either mechanically and tactically feel a pinch as your town gets destroyed, or at the very least, build some kind of visual representation. One that I haven't played, but it gets talked about a lot on our Slack as kind of a counterpoint to Aeon's End is Shadow Rift, where my understanding is there are like townspeople that can help you, and they get slowly kind of taken out as the enemy gets into your town. So, yeah, I'd recommend overall, even if your game is fairly simple, try not to go the Aeon's End route, because I think that is one of the missteps in what is otherwise a very good design, and try to give your town some life, because 
you know, even if you're not going for the most thematic game, if it's a defense game, try to give your players some feeling of actually defending something that matters. Yeah, and I'll defend Aeon's End a little bit in saying that the enemies are the most interesting thing there, and they do what we were talking about earlier, which is let things build up a little bit, because you're certainly not going to be able to take everything out early on, and the way they handle it, which is kind of genius, is it's a deck-building game, so... Not all of your cards can take out enemies every turn. So every turn, you're kind of forced to do both things unless you hone your deck so perfectly at the end of the game and you've cycled enough cards out where you're basically just doing combat every turn. But because you're getting money every turn and attack every turn, and I think deck builders all do this really well, it's kind of forcing you to do a little bit of both at the same time. And so that's kind of a neat way of having a town defense game work where it's making you do both ends. Another game, like you were talking about earlier with Aeons, and that just has a life total, is the Reckoners. And basically, as the game goes on, you're losing population, and that doesn't really have any effect on gameplay. And the the frustrating part for me, and I think the gameplay was fun in the Reckoners, I like the dice manipulation aspect of it. The part I didn't like, and I think we talked about this in our review, is that as you're killing enemies, they just respawn. And there's no real benefit in killing them. In fact, if you can suppress them you're almost better off than killing them now they do help you they give you bonuses toward killing the boss at the end so they do give you many reasons to kill them but bottom line is they are just going to replace themselves the minute they go away so you don't even get a break for one turn when you get rid of them and so i do think that is a misstep you want killing the enemies to feel like it's important in these games and yes a lot of times you are just going to replace them but if you didn't kill the enemy then you wouldn't replace it, you would actually add on top of it. And so the Reckoners, there's only a certain number of enemies out. And sometimes when you kill them, they're actually more dangerous with a new enemy that comes in. So I think that was a misstep in that game and something to think about. Make killing the enemies feel like you're doing something. Yeah, so that goes right into another thing, which is the idea of bosses and whether you want to have a big boss fight at the end of your game or like Castle Panic, just kind of have the enemies wear themselves out. I do feel like the more popular choice is to have the big boss. You have that in Aeon's End, you have Steelheart in The Reckoners, you have whoever the Ghost King guy is in Ghost Stories, and that's sort of the, the big thing you're working toward. Now, the cool thing about having the boss battle is that... You know, a lot of the games will have them show up later or become vulnerable later. Reckoners, he's not vulnerable until you've uh, defeated enough kind of enemies to make him vulnerable. And that leads to a nice kind of feeling of a tonal shift in the game where you're going from the, the sort of mob management to the enemy killing phase. But it also has a lot of pitfalls in that you really introduce a major balance challenge anytime you do that. Because if it is too easy to just focus on the enemy and kill them, and this is a problem in a lot more types of games than just town defense, like Sentinels of the Multiverse has this problem sometimes. If you make it too easy to kill the boss, then all they're going to do is kill the boss and you're going to lose half the cool stuff in your game. If you make it too challenging to kill the boss, you can get into a, like a really interminable end game where you just can't deal with the enemies and the boss at the same time and your players feel frustrated because they don't know where to focus their attention. So I think sometimes it might be easier to just go the Castle Panic route and be like, no, there is no big boss. Although I guess even Castle Panic added a big boss in with the second expansion, like you said, the Dark Titan. But yeah, maybe, especially for an earlier designer, I'd go with the simpler choice of just kind of letting things peter out. 
and then you can extend or limit the kind of scope of the number of enemies that need to be defeated as much as is needed to make the game balance in just the right way. The second you add a boss in, you're making your job much more complicated. Now, you again game the benefit of kind of giving the game a different feel as things evolve. You can even go the Metal Dawn route and literally have the game enter a different phase where this boss is like drops to earth and you got to start blowing him up. Although Metal Dawn, again, <laughs> made that big error of making the boss way too easy to destroy, at least in the base, uh, like, core rules of the game. So just be really careful if you go that route, because, man, there are a lot of pitfalls the second you introduce a boss. My opinions are actually pretty different on what you just said. I think the boss is almost an essential element to these games. Because of what you said, the games tend to peter out if you don't have that boss and kind of come to a boring ending i know we were having that problem with unlikely heroes and then we added the lieutenants in which come at the very end of the game and i think that's the easiest way to do it you know if you're having problems trying to figure out the balance you know we did it the exact opposite on tartarus where you can attack them from the first turn of the game but that is part of the interesting balance and choices and i think that's what adding a boss does is do i focus on saving this part of the town or do i fight the boss and the second thing which i think is the key essential part is you win these games by defeating the boss. And so that becomes a main focus, and it does become a shift in the game, which I think is important and cool. And it's super fun to end on that high note. You know, am I going to get that final blow in to get rid of this boss? Or if I don't win this turn, maybe the whole town's going to go get destroyed. So I think it's almost essential to have a boss at the end or some kind of fight or some kind of major shift at the end of the game just to make the end of the game exciting because that's one of the keys to these games is you don't want it to just be about, all right, I killed another five guys. I guess the game's over now. Yeah, and and you're right. Um, I guess I shouldn't say, like, don't design that way because it can make the game so much better. But maybe, like Peter said, at least save the boss until the end and make your balance job a lot easier. Because I think, like, Aeon's End has this problem, especially when I'm not playing on the harder difficulty settings. I'll often just find that, like, I don't even care about the enemies anymore. I just build up my attack and just blast the boss ridiculously in just a few turns. Like, my engine kind of goes too strongly. It's kind of similar to Spirit Island, which I guess you could sort of consider a defense game. I mean, man, <laughs> depending on how wide we spread our net, like, defense games in co-op are probably the most common genre in a way. But yeah, just just be careful. Like, have the boss show up later, become vulnerable later, because if they're vulnerable the entire time, you get into a problem of just maybe being able to kill them too easily and just totally ruin any kind of build and momentum your game might have. All right, well, I'm out. You got anything else? Yeah, no, me, me, me too. Those were, like, my, my big things. So. And it sounds like we had a lot of ones in common, so I guess... <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. We've been designing two games in this genre for, for over a year, so... We've had to have a lot of these conversations already. Absolutely. So my biggest two tips for designers who want to design this kind of games is you got to figure out how the enemies come in and you got to make the end exciting. I would say end with a boss fight, end with a bang, end with something exciting. Don't let it just peter out at the end. Yeah, and mine would be, I would also agree, figure out how the enemies come out, give their, give some flexibility there for your players, and then consider what they do besides fight. Make it interesting, make it sometimes free or an additional bonus if possible. Uh, do what Star Trek Panic did, where the exact same things you're using to fight can be used for other like tertiary tasks that will be important over the course of the game. But uh, yeah, I mean, don't, don't just let your combat be everything, or you'll have turns that are totally boring, 
like unfortunately several of mine in uh in base castle panic the last few times i've played cool well thank you for joining us again on co-op cast and please go over to board game geek vote in the golden geeks please you know if you think we're worth it vote for us in the podcast category and we totally appreciate it thank you so much and we will see you next week yeah and even if you despise the podcast and you're just hate listening every week you know still vote for us in the golden geeks because then you can get other people to hate listen to and you can spread the joy in multiple ways nice all right have a great week everybody Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-op Cast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop. And follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-op Cast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Sure, so it's a simp... Jeez. Goes a little bit into what my number three is, which is also a mixed for me, which is the enemy... Any... Hmm. Draw three more enemies or draw four more enemies. And I don't know why, and I do know why, because the more tokens you draw, the more likely it is you're going to draw another one of those... So it's a little thing, but uh, especially playing with kids, I really appreciate kind of the tactical. uh, It's a little thing, but especially. (laughs) Yeah, and in one of our. Yeah, and in one of our. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble speaking right now. Me too. So Castle Panic has very little mechanical influence, phlegm like whether the walls and the towers are destroyed, except that they... say that again, because you said phlegm like the walls. <laughs> hey, Mike. Yeah. I'm going to defend my choice for Golden Geek as best podcast of the year co-op cast. Nice, man. No, no bias there. I'm going to defend it by saying we're pretty cool. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs>